Welcome to St. Peter's, a church, as someone recently said to me, actually makes me want to follow Jesus. This statement was said by someone who has been in ministry, someone who has experienced a lot of church in their life, in a variety of traditions, but who over time began to feel a huge disconnect between the words and life of Christ and the words and lives of their church leaders. In very simplistic Sesame Street type language, one of these things did not go with the other. They did not match. And in this not matching, this disconnect, it began to become very hard for this person to know how to truly follow Christ. Before I get too haughty and start judging these unnamed churches and their people, I need to stop and take the log out of my own eye and ask myself with a little soul searching, do I match? Do my words and behaviors match with Christ, with the gospel? Am I actually living out my deepest soul identity as one beloved by God? Or have I become bound up in trying to find my identity in being good or capable or admired or creative? Conscious of it or not, everyone brings their own stories and experiences to their experience of faith. I'm sure most of you already are familiar with this idea of having a certain kind of lens that you view the world through. This is the same with our faith tradition. We bring our own experiences to the way that we approach the sacraments and scriptures and all other parts of our faith. But our lenses are not static. Just as our own physical eyes change and our prescriptions have to be adjusted a little bit, so does how we see the world and how we interact with our faith. For example, when I was 10 years old, I saw Greece for the first time. I loved it, and I wanted to be just like Sandy at the end. You know what I'm talking about, leather pants, big hair. Okay, so fast forward a few years, I'm in college, you know, taking some feminist theory classes. You see where this is going, right? I watch Greece again with these new lenses on, and suddenly Sandy at the end isn't so appealing. I have issues with her motivation. Fast forward a few more years. I have preteen boys. We watch Greece together. A whole new layer of understanding for some of the lyrics becomes very clear to my mother ears. In none of these instances did the content of the movie change. The words, the actions, the costumes, everything had stayed the same. But I had changed and my understanding of the movie had changed. This is the same pattern of growth that we bring to our reading of scripture. And every so often we find ourselves in a new season with slightly different lenses and something new pops out that we may have never noticed before. Currently I am working on a project that's all about living out our baptisms. What it means to be able to learn and discern what our vocational identity is and how this identity can help us live lives of meaning and purpose. Author Brennan Manning wrote this about vocation. Everybody has a vocation to some form of life work. However, behind that call and deeper than any other call, everybody has a vocation to be a person, to be fully and deeply human in Christ Jesus. 
fully and deeply human in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase. Because it does not ask that I, as a Christian, reject how I am made. It does not ask that I lay aside my humanity or my unique way of being in the world. But instead, what Manning is suggesting is that the fullness and depth of my humanity is to be found in Christ. This is what we call vocational identity. And this is the lens through which I read today's readings. So let's start with the gospel. I'm not going to do all four, don't worry. Just two. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Some translations even say she fixed a meal. Now, there have been times when a certain lens of mine has taken over my reading of this particular passage, and I've gotten a little hot under the collar about a woman getting off her deathbed to cook for a house full of men. But this time, as I read this passage through the lens of vocation and what it might mean to become fully, fully and deeply human through Christ, what I saw instead was a woman who was so grateful to be well that she used her best skills to give thanks. I read this through a lens that perhaps suggested that Simon's mother-in-law loved to cook. The cooking was the way she best knew how to communicate her love and affection. And that is why she got up and cooked for her son-in-law and his dirty vagabond friends. Also, maybe she was hungry. But for today's purpose, we're going to go with the idea that cooking was her great joy. And we're going to go with the supposition that before her healing, cooking was her vocation of work. It was the work she was called to do. But that after her healing, cooking was still her vocation of work, but now it flowed out of her vocational identity. Her identity as one who had been made whole and who had been healed by the love of Christ. You see, all of us have a vocation of work. Each of us is called to something, and sometimes a variety of somethings. Being a parent, being married, being a computer technician, being a community leader, being a teacher, being a plumber, being a crossing guard, these are all vocations of work. Some of these things we choose, and some of them choose us, but they're still work. And I think it is safe to say that all of our vocations of work can at times be taxing. They can seem less than fulfilling, and they can cause us to question everything and everyone. And maybe we even find ourselves at times saying, how did I get here? Or is this all there is? And if work is what you're living for, if your identity and your attempts to become fully and deeply human are rooted in your vocational work, then the answers to these questions might just be daunting. You see, we were not created to gain our self-worth or our motivation to continue on from our roles, from our vocation of work. We were created to gain these things from our vocation of identity, our vocation as the beloved, an identity that already resides deep, deep within us. Thomas Merton explains vocational identity this way. Discovering vocation does not mean scrambling toward some prize just beyond our reach, but accepting the treasure of true self that we already possess. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling us to be something we are not. It comes from a voice in here 
calling us to be the people we were already born to be, to fulfill the original selfhood given to each of us by God. This week, during a high school youth theology gathering, this tweet came out about vocation. The idea of vocation as a deep exploration of what God has already placed in us frees us from the chains of privilege, frees us from needing to gain knowledge, and frees us from having to prove our worth to live as called. Isn't that good news? We already hold within us our true selves, and these true selves are soul-rooted and God-given. Our identity as beloved is in no way dependent on our abilities to prove our worth. So this is the lens of understanding that I bring when I see Simon's mother-in-law cooking and serving. She's cooking and serving not because she has to prove that she was worthy of her healing, but because she is now so secure in her identity as beloved that it fuels her. It turns her vocation of work into a thank offering. She does not cook because she is obligated. She cooks because she is free. And then there is Paul. Perhaps no one shines this example of the deep exploration of what God has placed freely within us more than Paul. In today's epistle, we hear him excited and on fire, sharing the very intersection of how his vocational identity informs and empowers his vocation of work. You see, he says, if I preach the good news, it's nothing to brag about. This urgency, this necessity has been laid on me. In fact, if I were to stop sharing this good news, I'd be in trouble. You see, my story is different. I didn't volunteer for this. Had I volunteered to preach the good news, then I would deserve a wage, a reward, or something. But I didn't choose this. God chose me and entrusted me with this mission. At this juncture in Paul's life, his vocation of work is that of pastor. But pastoring for Paul, like any pastor in the world today will tell you, has the potential just as plumbing and teaching and parenting have the potential to be rooted in striving, in self-effort, in trying to prove worth, in seeking external rewards. Pastoring, if motivated from an unhealthy place, has just as much potential to be solely about what's in it for me as any other profession. But Paul, maybe in part because of his dramatic conversion experience, is so well-rooted in his vocational identity Paul, more than anyone else, is fueled and motivated, not by being the best, not by the pursuit of admiration, but by the sole knowledge that he is beloved. That apart from everything he could ever do, he is loved, not for his abilities, but because he is. And it is this security and his belovedness that propels him forward, even when his vocation of work is hard or boring or disappointing. For us, especially those of us who have not experienced a dramatic, blinding, healing, side-of-the-road kind of conversion, it can be easy to forget that we also all possess vocational identity deep within. It can be easy to forget that becoming fully and deeply human will never happen thanks alone to our efforts at the office, or the longevity of our marriages, or the grades of our children, or the number on the scale, or the letters after our names. It is all too easy to slip into the habit that thinking our work should inform and shape our identity instead of living out God's truth, that our identity as God's beloved is what should inform and shape our work and lives. 
This is why our baptismal vows are such a gift. They are the map to guide us when we are lost. As Episcopalians, we have the wonderful, orienting beauty and wisdom of these vows. Vows we have the chance to reaffirm several times a year. Vows that can remind us that as baptized followers, we are always working together with God in the creation of our life, of our identity, of our destiny. Vows that actually, A, tell us how to live, and B, remind us how we are to go about that living with God's help. Within those vows, we promise to do such things as resist evil and fight against injustices and respect the dignity of all persons and proclaim the good news of Christ and seek and serve all others of our neighbors as our neighbors. But none of these things do we promise to do out of our own strength for our own gain. We promise to do these things to become fully and deeply human as a response to the grace given us from a place of gratefulness fueled by our identity as beloved. You see, we promise to do these things with God's help. Which brings me full circle. Back to my original question about whether or not I match. Whether my words and behaviors match with Christ, with the gospel. Whether or not I'm living my life, whether or not my work, my relationships, and my service are fueled and guided by my vocational identity as beloved and with God's help, or am I living in a backwards pattern, hoping that my work and relationships will give me the identity I long for? Can I, can we, like Simon's mother-in-law, filled with joy and thankfulness as a beloved and healed woman, offer our lives and our work as a thank offering? Can we leave behind the striving and proving and get on with the business of becoming deeply and fully human in Jesus Christ? With God's help, I believe we can. Amen.